You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week we are continuing our series, Ephesians, A Note of Encouragement, with the sermon, What to Do When Discouragement Threatens, from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Let's listen in. Amen. I don't know if you know that song, but uh, the title says it all. He will hold me fast. No matter what you're going through, He will hold you. And we have to tell ourselves that sometimes. He will hold me fast. That's what His Word tells us. That's what His Spirit tells us. That's what we are to tell one another. That He will hold us. He will hold me fast. Which kind of leads into what we're talking about today. And uh, that is discouragement. Do you ever get discouraged? And I think we all do from time to time, but persistent discouragement is not a very good testimony for one who professes to be a follower of Jesus. If you're constantly discouraged, uh, then maybe your focus is a little off. I, I mean, when we get discouraged, and we do, We have to say, after all, doesn't God's Spirit live in me? And can't His Spirit, surely the Spirit of the Almighty God, can't can't He help us in times of discouragement and keep that discouragement in check? Now, I am in no way suggesting that um, we should deny the reality of pain in this life. Not at all. And there are varying degrees of pain that I don't understand. I'm I'm not suggesting that we deny that. But I do believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is what allows one to have joy even in the pain. I think that's what God's word teaches, that it allows us to find joy in the midst of our pain. Think about Uh, The writer of this uh, passage that we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul, he was harassed, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was imprisoned multiple times. He faced death for preaching the gospel, and yet he was not a victim of discouragement. How could that be? And I think we'll see through this passage how Paul guarded himself against discouragement and how we can do the same thing. So we're looking at Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. In verse 1, Paul begins making a connection with what he was talking about in in chapter 2. And that is how the Gentiles were once dead in their sin. They have been made alive by faith in Christ. And then how Jesus removed the walls of hostility between the believing Jews and Gentiles. And he brought them together and created a brand new humanity called the church. He created a new humanity, the church. So Paul begins there, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for your sake, For the sake of you Gentiles. But then all of a sudden you have a dash there. And he breaks off in mid-sentence. And he pursues another thought. Which is kind of common to Paul's writing. He thinks of something. And he pursues that thought. And it's not until verse 14. That he returns to his initial thought. 
which was a prayer for the church to be strengthened through God's Holy Spirit. So what was it that interrupted Paul's thought? And I think verse 13 tells us what that is. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And remember when Paul's writing this, he is in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel of Jesus. So he's in chains for preaching a message of freedom that comes through Jesus. That's quite a paradox, isn't it? In bondage for something that brings freedom. And that's where Paul was. And he mentions being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner of Rome. He's not a prisoner of Nero. He's not a prisoner of anyone other than Christ Jesus. And when he mentions that, it's, it's like it dawned on him that the Ephesians might be discouraged because he was in, in prison. Why? Well, for one thing, because of the close bond that they had with Paul, so they cared about him. So they could have been discouraged because of that, but maybe also because they might be wondering why a follower of Jesus who gives freedom would be suffering in prison. And they could ask, if Jesus sets people free, then why is Paul suffering in prison? Don't we all tend to think that way? That if I believe in Jesus, if I follow him to the best of my ability, if I live my life for him, then he will bless me by minimizing the trouble and suffering in my life. Now, we may not just come right out and say that, but I believe we think it. We think it. Somehow we expect God to remove or at least minimize our trouble because we are a Christian. And that's why we ask so often, why did this happen to me? And again, we may not say it, but I think we think it. Discouragement is linked to our expectations. And when our expectations aren't met, we tend to become discouraged. Test yourself in this. What is it that discourages you? And ask yourself, is my discouragement linked to something that I'm really after? Something that you're really pursuing that you don't get and therefore you are discouraged over it. Well, Paul's digression in verses 2 through 12 gives us insight as to why he didn't allow himself to be discouraged through all of the troubles that he faced, and he faced troubles. But also insight as to how we can deal with troubles that threaten to discourage us. So when discouragement threatens you, remember God's grace. That's one. Two, rejoice in God's mystery. And then three, reflect God's wisdom. Now, there's a progression here that I think can turn discouragement into joy. And we'll go through those. First of all, remember God's grace, starting in verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. 
In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So the administration of God's grace means the stewardship or the management of God's grace. And Paul had been given a very specific responsibility to preach about God's grace to all people. He was administering that grace, managing it as he preached it. And you can't go far in any of Paul's writings before you read about God's grace. Three times he mentions it just in these few verses. So Paul knew without a doubt that it was God who opened his eyes to his own sin and his own need to be saved from his sin. That was God's grace that opened his eyes to that reality. Paul's life had been drastically changed. One day, a persecutor of God's church, the next, a defender of the church. One day, working to kill Christians, the next, working to build them up. A drastic change that came because of God's grace. Paul had been given a fast track of understanding the grace of God. He didn't discover this truth. This truth was given to him by God. It was revealed to him by God. And again, it was a gift of grace. And grace consumed Paul. Even sitting in chains, just think about it. He's sitting in chains. He had to think, since God is my loving and gracious Father because of my faith in Jesus, if God is my Father, I must be in these chains for some reason that will bring Him glory. There must be some reason. So when your circumstances threaten to discourage you, remember the grace of God. He will hold you fast. Through whatever you face, He will hold you fast. His purpose is to change your character to be like Jesus. So your circumstances must merely be a part of that process. If He is changing us to be like Him, then whatever you go through must be a part of that process. God could leave us as we are, but in grace, he works to make us like himself. So remember God's grace. Secondly, remember God's mystery. Paul mentions the mystery of God in verses 3 and 4, and he tells us what that mystery is in verse 6. Look, look there. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created 
all things. Now when he talks about mystery, he's not talking about something that is mysterious or something that we have to figure out like a murder mystery. Mystery is a secret kept hidden until the time was just right. The mystery is that Jews and Gentiles together who were once hostile to one another, but Jews and Gentiles now together are heirs to the promise of being reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. The two groups are now united into one body, the church. Once separate, now united into the church. So Paul's goal in life was to let the Gentiles know about the boundless riches of Christ and that the one who created all things promises those riches to all who believe in him. So those riches are available to everyone who believes and it is by grace through faith. It cannot be earned by grace through faith. Okay, so we're, we're talking about what to do when discouragement so the first thing is to remember God's grace in your life. The second thing is to rejoice in the mystery that has been revealed to you personally. If you are in Christ, that mystery has been revealed and you've responded to it. And so rejoice in that fact that that mystery is revealed to you by faith in Jesus you're part of his church and therefore you share in the boundless riches of Christ. Now we can't even imagine what that is. But it's got to be good. The boundless riches of Christ. Now don't try to make this into a prosperity gospel by expecting worldly riches. I don't think scriptures teach that at all. After all, if faithful service to Jesus merited earthly riches, don't you know Paul would have been a wealthy, wealthy man? But he suffered greatly. So we don't make this a prosperity gospel. The riches of Christ are spiritual riches that are stored up for us in heaven where one day we will enjoy them forever. They're spiritual riches. And the greatest of these riches is Jesus Christ himself. So if you have Jesus, what more do you need? He is enough. When something threatens to discourage you, remember that that thing, whatever it is, that circumstance is temporary as bad as it may be. But what you have in Christ is eternal. Everything in this life is temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. What is in the life to come is eternal. And those two things can't really compare. So rejoice in the mystery of God that reconciles you with God and with other people. Now I mentioned this being a progression. It is. We remember God's grace. We think about it. We meditate on it. We contemplate we remember God's grace and then we take the next step and we rejoice that his mystery of redemption has been revealed to us personally. And then we take another step. Point number three, to reflect God's wisdom. And that is to display it. 
we reflect God's wisdom. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the and authorities in the heavenly realms. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, Jesus, and through faith in him, Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Like the writer of Hebrews said, uh, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that there we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that kind of parallels what Paul is saying here. In Jesus and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, God's purpose from the beginning of time was to reveal his manifold wisdom through his church. And manifold here means multifaceted or multicolored or varied. There's no way to comprehend the fullness of God's wisdom. However, God displays his wisdom through his church. That's us. He displays his wisdom through his church. That means that people see God's wisdom in the lives that we live. And one of the ways that they see that is how we respond to pain in our lives. How we respond to the pain in our lives. That's one way that they see this wisdom that he's talking about. We saw the purpose of the church when we started Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So he is working out everything in accordance to his will for the purpose of his glory. The church exists to glorify God through Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. Now think about how God chose Israel in the Old Testament. He chose Israel out from all the other nations and he gave them laws to live by. And if they lived according to those laws, they would have stood out from among all the other nations. They would have been unique. In living God's way, they would have glorified him. And that would have made them unique among all the nations in the world. But Israel failed to live by God's law. And they didn't look any different than the pagan nations around them. So why would we think the church should look like the people around us who are not a part of the church? We are not to look like the world. We are to let the world see the wisdom of God in us and encourage them to be a part of the church. And we do that by being different. So Jesus came to live the life that Israel didn't live and couldn't live, nor could anyone else. Jesus' perfect life is the foundation on which the church is built. So now the church is the holy nation. That is the example. We are the example through which all the world can see the multifaceted wisdom 
of God. In wisdom, God sent Jesus to save us from our sins so that our purpose, so that we could live for his glory. He sent Jesus to die, uh, live a perfect life, die for our sins so that we could live for his glory. So everything that we experience in this life, good and bad, can ultimately be for God's glory if we make it that way. If we turn it around and we make it for God's glory, everything in this life is for God's glory. I heard an excerpt of David Platt speaking last year at a worship conference. John, I don't know if this was the conference you went to, but he was speaking there and he was talking about the book of Psalms. He was talking about worship and he said the book of Psalms, are, it's a hymn book that God wrote about himself that he gave to Israel so that they could see his glory. So he wrote this hymn book and he gave it to Israel so that they could see his glory. And he said he was thinking about that. And he said, that's like me going to my wife and saying, honey, here are some poems that I've written about how amazing I am. And I've written them for you to say to me. And as you say them, you will be blessed as you do. Now, how would you think that would go if you went to your spouse and did that? But that's what God did for Israel. That's what God did for us. He gave us poems, a hymnal, so that we could express our praise to Him for His glory. From creation to the re renewal of His creation, everything is for the sake of His name and for His glory, not ours. Even when He blesses His people, it's for His glory. As I was thinking about Night to Shine late Friday night, I was thinking, you know, there was no keynote speaker. There was no individual that stood up and stood out. There was no attention on any committee, any committee member. Now this might have been different if you were at Tallahassee where Tim Tebow showed up. That might have been a little different. But where was the focus for Night to Shine? It was on the guests of honor. Everything that was done, all the hundreds of hours of preparation, it was all done for the guests of honor. That's the way it should be in our life. Everything that we do in life should be for the guest of honor. Everything that we do when we come together and worship should be for the guest of honor. That's why we don't emphasize music or style of music. We don't emphasize people. We don't emphasize place. We emphasize God through Jesus Christ. By exalting Jesus Christ, He is the guest of honor. And He should be the guest of honor in your own heart and in your own life. Now, how does God's glory fit into dealing with discouragement? Well, I think it does by realizing that the situation that's threatening to discourage you right now is yet another opportunity for you to glorify God in it. 
you give glory to God in it. You say, God, I don't understand this, but would you help me to glorify you through it? And you say, would you take this situation and would you use it for your glory? Help me to glorify you. So the bottom line is get your eyes off of yourself and on to God. And that will go a long way in helping you keep discouragement in check. Because you begin to see God's grace. You begin to remember it. And then you begin to rejoice in His grace that falls on your soul. And then you begin to reflect it to other people as you live it out. And so that discouragement doesn't debilitate you. I said earlier to test yourself to see if your discouragement is linked to what it is that you're after in this life and didn't get. If your ultimate goal is anything other than Jesus Christ, you will be prone to discouragement. So the key is finding joy in the pain of this life by trusting Jesus in the life that you live for the glory of God. So that people see you trusting Jesus for the glory of God. And may He help us to do that. His Spirit is in us. So may He help us to bring glory to His own name. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that You would help us to do this. We want to live lives that glorify You. But we are often sidetracked by thinking about how terrible our situation is. And those situations may be terrible. But Lord, we offer them to you that you would be glorified as we live through those situations. Lord, you tell us to come with confidence. And so we do. We come with confidence. And Lord, we proclaim our trust in your son Jesus. And I pray for those who have not placed their trust fully in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to that place to see that your grace is for them as well. And then for all of us who have responded, help us to live the life that would reflect your wisdom to the people around us. Lord, again, we pray it for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and if you would like to know more about how you can place your trust in Jesus Christ, we would love to help you with that. You can find our contact information down in the show notes below or on our website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our series through Ephesians.